Okay, let's uh, just bow our hearts as we get ready to continue this uh, journey that we've been uh, taking through Psalm 119. Let's just pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Lord, we just ask your blessing this morning as we study it again together. Um, and Father, I pray, Lord, as we often do, that you would help us to to not just understand from an intellectual perspective, but truly, Lord, from a spiritual perspective, what these things are saying. And Lord, how they apply to our lives. Lord, not just to understand the framework, but Lord, the real heart of what's being said in these verses. Lord, speak to us and to stir our hearts. Father, we are also on this journey. You've called us to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, you've called us to walk worthy of the calling that you've called us to. But Lord, we need your grace. We need your mercy Lord, if we're to do this. So Lord, just help us to understand a little more this morning that will equip us and help us to be ready, um, Lord, for the day ahead and the days ahead. Lord, until that time where we see you face to face. Lord, we just give you this time now. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've been going through this journey. We've been looking at uh, various progressions, I suppose, uh, as, as the psalmist has been growing himself. And I've entitled the various sections in the kind of notes I've been putting together, uh, just in the way I kind of see them unfolding. Uh, you know, really right from that very first section where it's a, a stating the the intended aim, the, the blessings that are available, but then God's perfection, God's righteous standard that none of us can attain to on our own. And of course, that's the, the whole point. We've said many times already the the beatitudes that Jesus gives in Matthew five. We, we find it with the commandments themselves that are given. They set a standard that is perfection. We can't attain to that. We can't do that. And so we need grace. We need God to do something in us that is not naturally there if we're to live the life that we've been called to. And again, so much of this is really based around the, living the life. And I've, I've said numerous times already, I'm sure, that you know, this psalm is so special because it's just so honest. And we're going to see a real example of that this morning as we continue uh, this journey. So we've come as far as uh, Yod. Uh, it's the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. You may be familiar that Jesus spoke of not one Yod or tittle being taken from the law until all be fulfilled. Yod is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And Jesus was saying not a little small part of what he said or what has been revealed in scripture will pass until all has been fulfilled. So... This is the letter that each of these verses in the Hebrew begins with. Um, we're going to pick up at verse 73. Now, before we get in, I just want to read you as we've been doing the, the comments that Spurgeon has regarding this section. Uh, to me, this section is like a stepping out. Uh, just to give you kind of a, a quick backtrack, we've been looking at this, this growth and then suddenly the realization that we've seen over the last couple of sections, in a sense, that the Lord is preparing us for something. It's not just about us being blessed. I mean, those first two verses, blessed are the undefiled in the way. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies. Why? Why are those blessings there? It's not just so that we can sit at home and be blessed. It's so that God would use us. And suddenly we realize that there's this incredible privilege that God wants to use you and I for the things that he's doing. And so there's been that kind of growing. And really that that last section... Uh, Tate we looked at from verse 65 to 72 last time. It's that really getting ready. You know, that anticipation that God is about to use us and move us forward. And now this section from verse 73 to verse 80 is very much like that stepping out in faith. And it's kind of like a, almost a nervousness here, but there's still that, that simplicity of just walking with the Lord and just going where the Lord would, would have us go. So Spurgeon says this. He says, we've come now to the tenth portion. 
which in each stanza begins with yod. But it certainly does not treat of yods and tittles and other trifles. Its subject would seem to be personal experience and its attractive influence upon others. The prophet is in deep sorrow, but looks to be delivered and made a blessing. Endeavoring to teach the psalmist, first seeks to be taught, verse 73. He persuades himself that he will be well received, in verse 74. And rehearses the testimony which he intends to bear, verse 75. He prays for more experience, in verse 76 and 77. For the baffling of the proud, in verse 78. For the gathering together of the godly to him, in verse 79. And for himself again, that he may be fully equipped for his witness-bearing and may be sustained in it, in verse 80. This is the anxious yet hopeful cry of one who is heavily afflicted by cruel adversaries and therefore makes his appeal to God as his only friend. So, again, in that previous section, there's been that kind of dawn in the realisation in the sense that the journey thus far has been a preparation and there's something comforting for us in that, that we realize that the things we've gone through, the challenges, the difficulties in life, have actually been part of God's plan. You know, God has allowed those things, engineered those things, that we would grow so that he can use us. You know, the struggles and so on that we've gone through, they're not just for our own growth and sanctification, they are, but also for that of others. And so now it's kind of that stepping out into a public arena, presenting ourselves as it were before the household of God to start with because we're going to see that. And, and the, the idea here is that we can be an encouragement to each other. But also we're stepping out before our spiritual adversaries to most of the time we're nothing but an irritation if we're honest. They don't like us, we get in the way, we're an annoyance, we say things they don't want to hear, we act in a way they'd rather we didn't because they make we make them feel guilty. Even on Friday at work, there were some um, guys in the office and uh, apparently they were intending on going to a so-called gentleman's club. And they came and said, oh, would you come? I said, never. No way. And we got into this conversation. And then I started challenging the Muslims who were talking about going. I said, how can you think about going to something like Doesn't your God have any standards? And so then they were very, very awkward. And, you know, the whole thing just dissipated. Everybody went just different directions, which is quite amusing, really. But the, the, the proud, they don't like us because we expose things like that. We expose darkness. That's what light does. Light makes manifest. And we are, of course, to be salt and light in this world. So what we've got here really is very much a, a prayer for continued training because we need to be trained if we're going to go out and to minister for the Lord. And also that we be granted understanding and boldness because all of that is necessary as well. But it's also a plea that the Lord himself would silence our detractors so that we can get about this work of ministry. For myself personally, when I started to uh, read the Bible, the, the real motivation for me was the fact that I'd started getting into to bands. I, I was drumming, I was playing in Christian bands. And I realized that we were going out as a Christian band with the intention of witnessing to people. And I thought, well, I, I kind of need to know what the Bible says, really, don't I? Because it's all right going to talking to people about God, but I wanted to know not just what other people have said about God, I wanted to know what the Bible said. And so I started reading, and I remember when I was, I was 13, going into my 14th year, I kind of read the Bible through that year for the first time. And a lot of it I kind of understood bits and kind of framework, but there was a lot I didn't understand. And then the next year I did it again. And as you keep reading through, you start to understand, you start to appreciate more, you start to see more. And, and, you know, all of you will have experienced this, that as you read scripture, even if it's just a familiar passage, as you reread it, you'll see something you've never seen before. 
And that's the beauty of the word of God. It's inexhaustible. But I realized very early that if I was to be a help to others, I needed to understand God's word myself. And I think that's very much the the idea here that the psalmist puts forward in verse 73. We read, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. You know, it's a prayer that, Lord, if I'm going to go out in ministry, then you've got to give me everything I need. You've got to equip me. And I want to understand your commandments, but I, I need you to give me understanding that I can learn them in the first place. Back in Exodus chapter 33, there's a wonderful account with Moses where he's atop Mount Sinai and he's speaking with the Lord and the Lord says to him that he wants Moses to go and lead his people. Is that stepping out? Is that going out in ministry? Being a blessing to others? But Moses kind of objects and says, Lord, unless you go with us, I don't want to take a step from this place. Yeah, That's the, the idea that it's not just being called it's about being called and equipped by God to go. And sadly, there are a number of Christians who seem to get excited about the opportunity of sharing their faith, and they step out in ministry, but without God. It's just a lot of enthusiasm. I'm sure you've met Christians like that, that are very, very enthusiastic. I've said a number of times, that I still love this quote by Oswald Chambers, he said, the need doesn't necessarily constitute the call. That's great. Because just because there's a need doesn't necessarily mean that God is saying, right, you are the one who's to go. Do you remember that situation at the beginning of the book of Isaiah? That need had existed for some time, but Isaiah is called into this situation. He's caught up in in, in vision form at least, uh, if not bodily, before the throne. And he sees the Lord high and lifted up. This train fills the temple, as we're told. And then he hears that voice. Let's just turn there, shall we? Let's have a quick look together. Turn to Isaiah uh, chapter 6. There's so many callings in scripture that are actually all very beneficial for us to have a look at and understand the kind of context and so on. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6 and we'll just read from the beginning of the verse or beginning of the chapter. Because in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved. And the voice of him, I, I, I just, that's incredible, isn't it? Just for a moment there. This is heaven, and heaven is shaking. And the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, this is Isaiah, woe is me. For I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched my lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then said I, Here I am, send me. And this is the important bit. Because Isaiah recognizes there's a need. But it's not until verse 9 that he gets the commission. Verse 9 says, and he said, this is the Lord, Go and tell this people, Hear you indeed, and understand not, and see indeed, and perceive not. And then he goes on to explain the mission that he's being given. 
But it's God that gives him that commission to go. You, you find the same with Jeremiah and many other characters in scripture that are called into some sort of ministry for the Lord. It has to be the Lord that does the calling. And again, if the Lord is calling us, we still need to be praying this prayer. Lord, give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. You know, and we need to understand the commandments. We need to understand the things that the Lord has said because just as it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, there is a big difference between the letter that kills and the spirit that gives life. It's okay knowing what the Bible says, but it's a whole other thing understanding how that needs to be applied. And there's a lot of people that will quote chapter and verse, they'll quote scriptures at you, but they'll do it in a very kind of judgmental kind of way. And scripture is not to be used as a, a hammer to beat people with. Scripture is there to bring life, to bring healing, to bring comfort, to bring restoration. And of course, it will bring conviction as well, but that conviction doesn't come because we've laid a guilt trip on somebody. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. If you read in John's Gospel, when Jesus is telling us, really from John 14 up to John 17, that whole section there, but he talks about the Holy Spirit coming, and one of the things that Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do is bring conviction of sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Our job is not to convict people. So, again, if we are to go, if we are to step out in ministry, we need to have an understanding of God's Word. Now, it starts by just reading Scripture. We need to be reading Scripture, each of us. And I hope and pray that every day you read something in God's Word. Because if you don't understand even just the the context and the, the framework, then how really are you going to be help and encouragement to others? You're just really relying on your own knowledge and resource and so on, and that's only got a very short shelf life. The tank soon runs dry. But when it comes to the Word of God, it is, as I said earlier, inexhaustible, but we need to understand the commandments. It's, again, give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. We need to know what they mean, how they apply. Spurgeon says this, he is represented as both as making and molding us. So speaking of God, that God makes us here, his hand, so their hands have made me and fashioned me. So making us and molding us. In both giving existence and arranging existence, he manifested love and wisdom. He said, I can learn other things with the mind. He says, but the, thy law is so pure, so perfect, spiritual and sublime, that I need to have my mind enlarged before it can become proficient in it. You know, in Romans 12 verse 2, or verse 1 and 2, we're told that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know, really, that verse is telling us we need to learn to think differently. That, that tells us, just simply by a process of deduction, that the natural way we think is not the right way of thinking. We're told in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a man, at the end thereof are the ways of death. So very often the way that we think is not the right way. So we need to be going to God, we need to be called of God, we need to be immersed in his word, and understanding his word, but then... What a joy, because the Lord can then send us out in ministry. One other quote before we move on to the next verse. This is just from two commentators, Neil and Littledale. They said this, this is partly a petition for divine grace and partly an assertion that the example of piety and resignation in trouble is attractive enough to draw men's hearts on towards God. So verse 74, next verse we read on, They that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. Well, again, there's a lot here, because it's not just that people are going to be glad when they see you because you say you're a Christian. 
But if you're of value in terms of you've got the word of God within you, that you've allowed the Lord to teach you and understand his commandments, that the things you say are not just your opinion on the subject. Look, the world is full of opinions, isn't it, on all sorts of things. We don't really need another opinion. What we need is to hear from God. And what a privilege if God would then use you in the lives of others. Again, they that fear thee. So the first group, in a sense, that he's stepping out and, and ministering to are those that love the Lord. He says they'll be glad. Now, what a joy it is when you encounter a believer that loves God's word. It's a joy, isn't it? That you get excited when you speak to somebody and you find they love God's word. When in their conversation they just quote scripture. Not not in terms of a holier than thou type of, you know, but just it's part of their vocabulary. And there's something wonderful about conversing with somebody that loves the Lord. I may have used this example uh, in the past, but again, going back to the days when I was uh, playing in the bands, we were uh, at one point, one of the bands were auditioning for a singer. Uh, I wanted to do it, but the band said no. And um, so we, they wanted a proper singer. And so we, we were trying to find, we had loads of people come uh, for auditions. And the, the rest of the guys decided they were going to do the musical check to make sure that this whoever uh, individual would be up to the job musically. Uh, and they kind of appointed me to do the spiritual checkout. So we kind of did a kind of a two-stage uh, interview, as it were. Um, and I just got to talk to these people. And so I just asked them about their testimony. I asked them about you know their relationship with God. Asked them a few questions about doctrine. And it was great fun because within seconds, and it really was seconds, you know, it was a, a tick or an absolutely no way. Because some people you could talk to for half an hour and, and God just didn't come into it. They talk about lots of things they'd done in their lives, but and maybe they'd mention church in amongst that. But then you get other people that were just on fire for God. And it was such a joy. And, you know, I often had uh, Baz, the, the guitarist who was doing the musical stuff, he used to come and say, come on, come on have you finished yet? <laughs> like, I'm still talking to these people. And we're just having such a great time just talking about the Lord. But it was it was a really interesting experience in seeing those people that are immersed in God's word and how it's such a joy. Again, this verse, they that fear thee will be glad when they see me. And then that almost sounds a little presumptuous. Almost maybe a touch of pride there on behalf of the psalmist, but I don't think there's any of that here. I think it's just that acknowledgement that when we get to meet other believers and those that love the Lord, what a joy it is. But now let's spin this round because the challenge is for you. Are you that kind of person? When somebody meets you, if they're a believer, are they encouraged? Do they get excited because you talk to them in godly words and terms and phrases? You know, do you allow the things of, of God to permeate your conversation and encourage other people? Or is it all about you, your experience, your life, and, and your opinions? Just consider this responsibility. Because now that others have, have seen you, and you know, they should be encouraged. They should be edified. But just think at the moment, the moment you step out as the psalmist is doing here, just as like a, when a celebrity steps out onto the stage as it were. And of course we, we live in a society where we see so much of this, you know, with these talent shows and so on. Somebody who was previously unknown and nobody cared about them. They step out onto the stage and suddenly every detail of their life is open to public scrutiny. Well you know it's the same for us as Christians. The moment we state that we are Christians, that we follow Christ, there's a spotlight on us. One of the worst things that can ever be said to a Christian, and this may have happened to you, 
If somebody says, oh, I don't think a Christian would do that. Suddenly you feel that conviction. That maybe you've just allowed yourself to become a little too close to the world and the things of the world. And a non-Christian questions your morality. What a horrible situation to be in. We've probably all been there, if we're honest. But it's a real wake-up call. That the world sometimes can see things that even as Christians we can miss. But we are. We're open to assessment by the world. The world will weigh our actions. And not just the world, but fellow believers as well. And and we could spend the whole morning just thinking about this. But our vocabulary, our language. Paul says that we shouldn't let a corrupt word proceed from our mouths. Do we? You know, in our anger we shouldn't sin. Doesn't mean there's not a time and a place for anger, but it has a context and it's never rage, it's never uncontrolled. But certainly, you know, we read about the fruit of the Spirit and you can spin all of those things around. Because this world has a way of doing things and it's so easy to become accustomed to those things that they become the way that we are as well. But, you know, really as a believer, no longer can we just be impulsive, acting on our natural inclinations. We, we can't just come out with flippant comments. Have, have you ever been in a conversation with somebody who's a Christian and you've been about to say something? It, it may have been something that you felt was quite humorous or uh, some whatever, but then the Holy Spirit checks you and you have that kind of knowledge of, no, don't say that. Have you ever been there? It's good that you're in a place that the Holy Spirit is actually communicating with you and you're listening. Of course, we need to make sure that we respond when the Holy Spirit checks us. Or maybe you were going to go somewhere and the Holy Spirit just seems to say no. Paul gives us a couple of examples of that in the book of Acts. He was on various journeys looking to go to place A and the Lord says, no, I don't need to go there. God doesn't give a reason away to those things. He just simply wants our obedience. So again, the words we use, the company that we keep, the attitudes of our hearts... You know, whether we get quickly stressed or irrational or whether we don't show grace to others. All of those things suddenly get exposed when we step out in faith. And yet we can't not step out because the Lord has been doing this work in us and we've realized already that all of the things that we've been going through, all of these blessings that we're seeking, they're not just for our benefit. As we said last week, the whole example, the, the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, if you just keep all these things for yourself, you, you'll dry up and you'll stagnate. You won't produce life in others. But if you allow the blessings that God gives you to go out to others, well then what a blessing your own life will become. But there is a cost. And when, the moment we put ourselves in that public arena when people, both inside the fellowship and inside the church, Christians and non-Christians in the world, Get to look at us. A man by the name of George Horn said this. He said, When a man of God obtains grace for himself, he becomes a blessing to others. Especially if that grace has made him a man of sound understanding and holy knowledge. They who fear God are naturally glad when they see and converse with one like themselves. But the more especially so when it is one whose faith and patience have carried him through troubles. And have rendered him victorious over temptations. One who has hoped in God's word and has not been disappointed. So, the challenge to us is that if we are to step out, and of course the Lord is calling us to step out, to be witnesses, to be ambassadors for him, 
We've got to be prepared that this is going to be a life-changing thing. And quite rightly so. Verse 75 carries on. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou, in faithfulness, has afflicted me. Now, interesting, because it's the third time now that the psalmist has used this phrase, afflicted. We saw it twice in the previous section. Looking back in verse uh, verse 67 and also in verse 71. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I've kept thy word. And in verse 71, it is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I may learn thy statutes. So those two mentions already, and now again another mention here. Now, was this a specific affliction, a specific situation or event? Or was it just a prolonged, continued assault on his life over a period of time? Now, if this was David, as we believe the author of the psalm was, it could well have been the situation that occurred with Bathsheba. We've got a number of psalms that David did write, Psalm 32, Psalm 51 and so on, to speak of that situation and his repentance after the event. It took him some time to get to that place of repentance but he did eventually get there. And what an affliction that was, and what a cost to David's life. Are you aware that that situation with Bathsheba, that child ultimately dies? Nathan comes and speaks to David, and Nathan interestingly gives this strange kind of uh, analogy about a man who has this little sheep that's a member of the family, a lamb, and it's kind of like the family pet. And a rich man comes and he's got loads of flocks, but he comes and takes the poor man's lamb and uses that to prepare a meal for a visiting friend of his. David's outraged by this. And Nathan says, well, actually, you're that man. Because that's what you've done. You've taken somebody else's wife. You know, you had whatever you wanted. You're the king. But you've taken something that you should never have taken. Interestingly enough, Back in the law, we find that one of the conditions for stealing was a lamb was that you would restore fourfold. Are you aware that David lost four sons? The Lord allowed four sons of David to be taken away, to be killed. Very much in payment for this transgression that he committed. You see, God is not to be mocked. God is to be taken seriously and his word is to be taken seriously. And sometimes we think that sin doesn't have consequence, but it does have consequence. David's joy had left him through that whole period of time. And he cries out to God and numerous times, and the number of Psalms refer to it. And maybe this is another reference here, this affliction. But whatever the situation for the psalmist that's recording this, he's saying that you know, there's been events or specific event that has just brought me to this place, but he's saying that he's realized that God was faithful. Because he's afflicted him. And interestingly, he attributes the affliction to God himself. That it's God that has caused these things. Now, in your life, it may be that God will allow things. Or that God specifically engineers things. But either way, God is faithful. It's another one of God's characteristics. It's not that that God can be faithful. God is faithful. His whole character, his nature is such. Whatever situation the psalmist has come to, he's come to that place of realizing... Just what we read in Deuteronomy 33.27, which tells us that underneath are the everlasting arms. He says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. Yeah, sometimes we may fall, but God will never allow us to fall so far that we can't be restored. Lamentations, chapter 3. Just turn with me, if you will. It's a small little book, just before... Sorry, just after the end of the book of Jeremiah, just before we get to the book of Ezekiel. 
Turn to Lamentations chapter 3. You'll recognize the verse when we read it in a moment. Or part of the verse, certainly. It's just so applicable to to this verse here. Okay, so Lamentations chapter 3 verse 21. It says, This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. Now, just let me give you the context. Lamentations written by Jeremiah is a book all about woe and sadness and despondency because what was coming upon Jerusalem because of their iniquity and the way God was bringing judgment and so on. It's a very low, almost depressing book. Very honest, very real again. But then Jeremiah says this, says, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Of course, that's where we get that wonderful hymn that we sing from, those verses. God is faithful. And even in our affliction, he's faithful. We we see, and we're going to see it intensified, but God's mercy has become a great theme in this psalm. You know, we we realize that we need God's mercy. We need his love, we do. We talked about this a few weeks back now. Love is so important and God's love is, is eternal, we know that. But the word of God tells us that it's his mercy that endures forever. Oh, and that's what we need. We praise God for that. But this verse now becomes kind of a springboard for the rest of the, the octave, the rest of these verses in this group of eight. Because it's it simply put this way, the, the, the plea that is being offered by the psalmist is this. He says, I've gone through things that I'd rather not have gone through, things that you've either engineered or allowed, but you have proven yourself just in my life, in your dealings with me. You have dealt in just the right way. Remember the opening verse of the previous section. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord. And so because you are faithful, because God is faithful, because I can trust in him to the end, now the psalmist implores these things. Now I want you just to look here at the, the way this is made up. Verse 76 starts, Let I pray thee. Verse 77, Let thy tender mercies. Verse 78, Let the proud. Verse 79, Let those that fear thee. And verse 80, Let my heart. You see, this is all the springboard of this verse. So really saying, Lord, I know you're just, I know in faithfulness you've afflicted me. So because of that, I'm asking these things. Because I know I can trust you, you're never going to let me down, you're always just and faithful. And really, those five verses that follow, there's five things that really you can break this down to. Firstly, it's, Lord, comfort me. And think of the context. This is about us going out in ministry, about being used of God. And by the way, when I say about going out in ministry, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord is going to call you to Africa. For some, that may be the case. But he may just call you to speak to somebody at school when you're picking up the kids. It may be that he calls you to speak to somebody at work or somebody in the supermarket or wherever we are. So the things he's asking, firstly, comfort me. And we need that comfort. Revive me. Vindicate me. Use me. And then establish, strengthen and settle me. Those five things really coming through in these next verses. And again, he's asking all, again, because God's word is true and because God is faithful. You know, as he's already said and will say in these coming verses, that God's word is his delight, it's his anchor, it's his foundation. If you like, it's the bedrock of life itself. And that's going to be the foundation upon which these next requests are asked. So let's just move through these. The first is verse 76, the first one of those. 
This kind of comfort me, he's pleading here. He says, let I pray thee thy merciful kindness be for my comfort according to the word I word unto thy servant. Now, I think first of all, there's a kind of imploring here that there's a steadying action going on. Because there is, and there has been in his life up until this point, this tendency to slide towards the flesh. And uh, no doubt a question in his own worthiness and ability to be used of God. How could God use him? You know, he knows that he should be written off, but he's asking for kindness instead of wrath, wrath here. Compassion instead of judgment. And again, the one basis for this incredibly audacious request is what he's already said. The promise he's already given. Because the basis of this request is, according to thy word unto thy servant. It's because, Lord, you've said this, that I'm even daring to ask it. And you know, that's really the basis for our request. Because we can't go to God because we've got to a place now that we think we deserve something. It's never that. It's always that we realize that he has said that he will do, and therefore we can ask. You know, just ponder this, that if God had known you as you are now, would he have still made those promises towards you? It's kind of a sobering thought. The reality is, of course, that God is outside of time. And God knows the end from the beginning. And as we read in Romans 5 verse 8, it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for the ungodly. And and that's always just an incredible thing to get your head around, that even the sins that we will commit in this coming week, Things maybe where we're negligent, where we don't do what we should do, or we sometimes react in a way that we shouldn't. But God knew all of that ahead of time. And Jesus still went to the cross. You know, you could never surprise God. We can surprise ourselves and often do. But we can never surprise him. So this prayer, again, let I pray thee thy merciful kindness be for my comfort. We need that reassurance. We need that comfort. We need, in a sense, to understand our own position in God before we even take a step. You know, just as Moses again on the mount, as I alluded to earlier, you know, Lord, unless you go with me, don't let me take a step from this place. But then verse 77 carries on. Let thy tender mercies, the mercy is still the same thing, but let thy tender mercies come unto me that I may live. And now the, the, the prayer really is to revive me. Bring me back to life because, you know, we've all been affected by the world in so many ways. Ways that would just destroy any spiritual inclinations that maybe we would have or would have wanted to have had. The world just has a way of of taking those things away. And so now he's saying, look, if I'm to do this, if if I'm to step out, if I'm to be a help for other people, firstly comfort me, but then revive me, make me alive. You know, we need to be Christians that are vibrant and excited. We need to be passionate about our Lord and Saviour. We need not be ashamed. I mean, the psalmist has already made mention a couple of times about not being ashamed of things. But really, this is the same thing. We want to be so invigorated with the life that we have from God that we're not ashamed of the gospel. Spurgeon says this, How truly we live when tender mercy comes to us. Then we do not merely exist but live. We are lively, full of life, vivacious and vigorous. We know not what life is till we know God. 
man by the name of Thomas Watson said this, though he cannot serve the Lord perfectly, yet he serves him willingly. I love that. Because the, the reality is even still, we're going to fumble and bumble and make mistakes. But you know, it's about that heart. It's about that desire to seek God, to serve God. And that's why these prayers are being prayed now. It's not just a, oh, well, let's go out and I'll try and talk to people about the Lord or I'll try and witness in some way. It's not a, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it because I've been called to do it because God is my rock. God has given me this firm foundation. That's my comfort. But now, Lord, make me alive. Make this real to me. Make my faith so real that others can see it, that it's so tangible. The next one really is this vindication, verse 78. Let the proud be ashamed. For they deal perversely with me without a cause, but I will meditate in thy precepts. And you know, there's, there's a double thing here, because we want to see the proud ashamed. We want to be vindicated. And for two reasons. One, because it's a great encouragement for us, but also it's a great encouragement for others. When they look and they see that the proud that spoke against us have been silenced. Yeah, and we know, of course, in the light of eternity, everything is going to be known. There won't be any secrets. Everything will be, be manifest. Everything will be brought to light. One commentator said this, It says, Shame is for the proud, for it is a shameful thing to be proud. Shame is not for the holy, for there is nothing in holiness to be ashamed of. But notice again that this is continual meditating on God's word. It's not just a, uh, you know, a once only or a couple of times, but I will meditate. The idea is continually meditate. You know, this plea is, let the proud be ashamed. But you kind of almost, but if not, it kind of reminds us of that Daniel, your situation in Daniel with Hananiah, Azariah and Mishael. Those three Jewish young men that are thrown into the fiery furnace. They know that God can deliver them, but even if not, O king. And that's kind of this prayer. Let the proud be ashamed, for they deal perversely with me without a cause. But you know, even if not, O Lord, I will still meditate in thy precepts. And actually by meditating in God's precepts, we have everything we need. And we leave the rest to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. A man by the name of William Cowper said this, he said, David's enemies fought against him with the weapons of the flesh, with wickedness and falsehood. He withstands them by the armour of the Spirit. Not meeting wickedness with wickedness and falsehood with falsehood. For if we fight against Satan with Satan's weapons, he will soon overcome us. But if we put upon us the complete armour of God to resist him, he shall flee from us. So the next let it, as it were, is in verse 79. Let those that fear thee turn unto me and those that have known thy testimonies. Now this is a really bold statement and this in a sense is where this has all been building to. Because he's already said that those that will see him will rejoice, they'll be glad. That's in our opening verse. But now he's saying, let those that fear thee turn unto me. He's actually asking God to allow others to come to him. And those that have known thy testimonies. He's saying, Lord, I'm ready. Lord, you, you brought me to this place. Lord, use me. Of course, it's only by grace that we stand. And it's only by grace that we can be used of God to affect and encourage and edify another's walk with the Lord. And I don't think, again, there's any pride or arrogance here. But let those that fear thee turn unto me. But notice first, it's that God has to be exalted. It's very much as John the Baptist said, you know, that we must decrease and he must increase. It's those that fear God. Lord, let me assist, let me encourage, let me edify, help and strengthen. 
and those that have known thy testimonies. Again, we can unpack these things even more and spend more time on each of these things. But let's go on because I'm going to put a little bit far more in the notes on each of these verses. But verse 80 then, just to finish this section. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes. This is the final one. This is that kind of establish and strengthen and settle me. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes. That I may not be ashamed. Now, he's spoken already of not being ashamed of God or of God's word or of God's testimonies. But now he's saying, I don't want to be ashamed because I misrepresent you. And so please to God, let my heart be sound. Because, of course, as Jeremiah 17.11 tells us, that the heart is deceitful, it's desperately wicked. That's why David prays in Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart, O God. The heart is a, a real problem when it starts to follow after things of this world. And, and he's aware of so much of his past life has been in that arena that now he's serving God and God has created this new heart in him. He still knows that there's that danger for temptation. There's that danger to be led astray. And so he wants his heart to be secure and sound. You know, it's very much if we're to be a beacon for others, well, we've got to be in a strong place ourselves. And we can't, of course, do that on our own strength. I was just reminded of the words of the song by Ren Collective that we've done uh, once with the children. They were doing it at the Creation Fest this year with the children. It was one of the themes about my lighthouse, shining in the darkness, I will follow you. My lighthouse, I will trust the promise and you will carry me safe to shore. But you know, the, 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 the incredible thing is that as we follow Christ as our lighthouse, as he's the one that brings us safe to shore, so all of a sudden, we find ourselves as little lighthouses. The Lord will use us to bear that light. And other people will look to us. And that's what he's saying. You know, if I'm going to be a lighthouse, then at least let me be grounded. Let me be on the rock so that I don't be shaken. Because what a, a terrible thing if others' faith becomes shipwrecked because of our witness, because of our testimony. Again, Spurgeon says this, This is even more important than to be held in esteem by good men. This is the root of the matter. If the heart be not sound in obedience to God, sorry, if the heart be sound in obedience to God, all is well, or all will be well. If right at heart, we are right in the main. Now, the reason I want to go on to the next section, and I'm not going to spend it as long going through the verses, is because I want to show you the contrast and what happens next. Because only by going straight into this that you get to see it. Spurgeon says, referring to the next portion, this is the Hebrew letter, um, Kof, verse uh, 81 to 88. He says, this portion is the, uh, of this gigantic psalm, the, the psalmist, uh, sorry, sees the psalmist in extremes. His enemies have brought him to the lowest condition of anguish and depression, yet he is faithful to the law and trustful in his God. This octave is the midnight of the psalm. And very dark and black it is. Stars, however, shine out. And the last verse gives promise of the dawn. The strain will after this become more cheerful. But meanwhile, it should minister comfort to us to see so eminent a servant of God, so hardly used by the ungodly. Now, whenever we step out in faith, whenever we do what the Lord is calling us to do, as this whole emphasis has been on, we should expect persecution. We should expect that the enemy is going to want to try and derail us, either from without or from within. And we need to be aware that those are two real issues. You know, we have those enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
We must never presume that the wicked fallen nature within us is now going to remain silent if we're seeking and serving Jesus. So I'm not going to spend as long on these verses, but I just want you to get the reality here. Because this is like everything has been going so well. We've been growing, we've been learning, we've been coming to this place, realizing that the Lord is using us and wanting to use us in ministry. What a blessing, what a privilege. And it's like, okay Lord, here we go. And then suddenly, it's like hitting a brick wall. Verse 81, my soul faints for thy salvation. But I hope in thy word. I don't know what happened between verse 80 and verse 81, but something happened. Because suddenly he says, my soul faints. You know, this is at the point of giving up, the point of quitting, almost. But finally he adds on that sentence, but I hope in thy word. You know, we've been using that example a couple of times. It's like climbing up a rock face. And almost we get to the top and suddenly the foot slips and we slide, but it's just grabbing on with our fingernails. And what we hold on to is God's word. I don't know if you've ever been in those kind of places where you've been at that point of almost quitting out, where you feel your your soul is about to faint. Not just physically, but spiritually. Albert Barnes said this, the word rendered here, faint, is the same than in Psalm 73 verse 26 is translated, fails. He says, my flesh and my heart fail. That's the verse there. The idea is that his strength gave way. And he had such an intense desire for salvation that it became weak and powerless. Any strong emotion may thus prostrate us. And the love of God, the desire of his favor, and the longing for heaven may be so intense as to produce this result. He's crying out almost, I've just, Lord, I've had enough. I want to come home now. I remember um, some years ago, um, Bill Gallatin, one of the... uh, very early Calvary Chapel pastors uh, left Costa Mesa where he'd been with Chuck Smith uh, serving and he, he left to go to a, a place where he really felt the Lord had been calling him and his wife too. Well, his wife wasn't so sure but you know, often, you know, uh, there's a number of these situations where they just really stepped out in his faith but that she was supportive, she trusted, they went together and they began this ministry after two years. Bill Gallatin rang Chuck and said, I want to come home. I, I want to come back. I, this just isn't working. It's too hard. And Chuck said, well, I'm very sorry. He said, but there's no job for you now. And put the phone down. <laughs> he, he did the right thing because God hadn't finished with Bill. And Bill's gone on to become just such a wonderful pastor and teacher and just many, many years in ministry. If you get opportunity to listen to any of Bill's teachings, it's worth doing. Um, he's such a, a wonderful, lovely man. You know, we talked about earlier about people seeing you and being glad. Well, Bill's one of those characters you just meet and you want to spend time with. But you know, he'd come to that place and many of us come to those places where you just, this is too much. Lord, I, I want to come home. I've had enough of this. Now, just that begs the, the, begs the question there, how much do you want heaven? Because when you come to those places, do you actually get to that point of wanting God so much? Or do you come to a place of, I've had enough with God? Because that's a terrible place. That's We don't want to be there. Because God is never the one that's caused the problem. God will never let us down. We've already declared that God is faithful. But when we come to those places, is it heaven that we cry out for? Is it God that we seek? Verse 82, my eyes fail for thy word, saying, when will thou come for me? Now this is strange because in the previous section, we've already been seeing there the comfort. And he cried out in verse 76, let I pray that thy merciful kindness be for my comfort. 
Comfort has been mentioned a number of times in the, the psalm so far. But now it's almost as if he's devoid of all comfort. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, when will thou comfort me? Verse 83 carries on the same theme. For I am become like a bottle in the smoke. Yet I do not forget thy statutes. The idea is that typically an old calfskin bottle or something, that as the smoke and the heat, it would dry out, it would crack, it would become good for nothing. Of little worth. And it's almost as if he's come to that place saying, Lord, I really thought everything was sorted. I thought we were moving forward. I thought I was going to go out in ministry for you and serve you. And yet now everything's falling apart. I can't be used. I'm useless. I'm worthless. And that's really what's being said. And I hope for some of you this resonates this morning. For me, I've been here in times in my life. And you just, you think you've got everything, all your ducks lined up as it were. And yet then you suddenly find it's not as you thought. And you realize that there's another valley to go through. But as we mentioned last time, Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, even then God is going to comfort us and be with us. But sometimes there's a number of those dark places, those dark seasons, those dark nights of the soul that we have to go through. And this, for this psalm is exactly that place. You know, there's been a lot of moments so far where his own iniquity, his own sin and so on have been the things that have dragged him down. And he's cried out against God, cried out to God to be delivered from those things. But this is kind of like, now everything seemed to be going so well and his life seemed to be right with God. But suddenly it's just a calamity. Verse 84, how many of the days of thy servant? It's like, Lord, how long have I got to wait? How long have I got left? When will thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? Now, the emphasis here is on, on the fact that he's being persecuted from outside, but it could so easily be persecution from within. Because our own hearts condemn us. Sometimes we are the worst people when we are feeling down, when we are feeling low. Because there will be a little voice. And sometimes it will be inspired of the enemy, but sometimes it will be just that old self-life that says, oh, you might as well give up. Don't bother carrying on. God's got other people he can use. He doesn't need you. And you're no good anyway. All those kind of ideas that Satan will throw at you and the, the flesh life will throw at you. This, this appeal, how many days do I have left? How many other days do I serve? When will you execute judgment? Well, we know the reality that in terms of our flesh life, we have to endure. This battle will continue until that day that we are taken, until the day of the rapture when we are taken from this world, when suddenly we are removed from the presence of sin itself. Then and only then will this struggle be over. But until that time, the struggle will continue and we will have to continue struggling against the world, the flesh and the devil. I may use a, an old Ron Matson phrase. We need to put our big boy trousers on. But we do. And sometimes we can get into this place of self-pity and we very feel very sorry for ourselves. And sometimes it may be our causing, sometimes it may be external things. But you know, God is still God. He's still on the throne. His promises are all still true. In verse 85, The proud have dig pits for me, which are not after thy law. Well, of course, there are pits that the proud have dug all around us. Traps and things they want to, to catch us in. But you know, we have been responsible for this ourselves. We have dug in our own lives so many pits that now we have to try and avoid. Things that we allowed ourselves to enjoy, thinking it was going to bring us some sort of pleasure or whatever else, and suddenly they become a pit that we have to, for the rest of our life, 
Be very careful and tread around. You know, do you realize that anything that is not of God in your life can end up becoming a pit later in your life that you'll have to navigate? That's why we're, we're best to be like Joseph and just flee any sign of temptation. Keep away from those things that potentially will pull you down. Even if they they don't seem to be sinful things now, if it's just something that may seem harmless, if it's not of God, then it's not worth investing our time and effort in. And then, verse 86, all thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully, and now that cry, help thou me. Uh, this is probably the lowest point we get to in the psalm. This is very much like Jonah when Jonah gets right down into the depths and he's crying out, uh, seemingly from the depths of Sheol, the Lord, help me. Now maybe there was a touch of self-reliance still left here. Maybe there was that excitement and maybe you've been there where you've gone to step out in some sort of ministry or whatever and you thought, this is good, I can do this. And suddenly everything goes horribly wrong and you realise you can't do this. But next time, you don't try and do it in your strength at all. You do it in the Lord's strength. And I think that's where the psalmist is right now. I think he's got to that place of all the reliance on self and flesh and everything else is gone. He's come to the end. He's come to that place of saying, Lord, no more. I, I die to self. But now do you understand what Jesus said and what Paul reiterated? Speaking of that, dying to self, giving up your life, taking up your cross and following him. It's not something that should be a painful experience, but we've got to come to that place of absolutely no reliance on self at all, an absolute total reliance upon God. Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. They are contrasts. So just to conclude, the last two verses, they had almost consumed me upon earth, but I... Forsook not thy precepts. The beautiful thing about this, again, is that throughout this, there was a bedrock. Underneath, again, the everlasting arms. And although he fell, the Lord was there. And he never came to that place of giving up on God. And I just hope and pray that the Lord has done such a work in your life, that whatever happens, whatever valleys, whatever trials, whatever seasons, dark seasons you go through, you never give up on God. Because God will never give up on you. The beautiful verse, a beautiful word in verse 87 is almost. They had almost consumed me. Which means they hadn't. You know, the devil would love to do his work and completely consume us, but he can't. The world would love to silence us and to stop us being witnesses and ambassadors for Jesus, but they can't. The flesh life would love to silence God in our lives and just to go after the things of the world, but that's not going to happen. They had almost consumed me upon earth, but I forsook not their precepts. There was something he was holding on to that was stronger than anything else, and that was God himself. So verse 88, then this kind of turn at the end of this very dark group of eight verses, quicken me. After thy loving kindness, so shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. Again, that make me alive. Yeah, it's just restore me. Because God is loving. He is kind. He's gentle. All these things we, we read about in scripture, they're all true. 
so shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. You know, that, that idea of testimony once again. It's that which has been delivered. It's something that is a, a witness. And God has witnessed of his own grace and mercy to us. And so we will see, as the psalmist goes on, we're going to come back to the place of ministering to others. This isn't a failed experiment. It's not as if he's decided to step out in ministry. It's all gone horribly wrong. That's enough. Not doing it again. This is the, a learning by God's grace. Now, I just wonder whether through this section, the psalmist was still thinking the God's or the affliction was good. Again, just remember back in Psalm 67, uh, Psalm, sorry, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. I wonder if he was, as he was going through this, he was thinking, this affliction is good for me. Or in, in verse 71, it is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I may learn thy statutes. As he's going through this, was he thinking that he was learning God's statutes? And you know, the reality is for you and I, we probably don't think we're learning as we're going through it, but we are. Because God never gives up. Just one final comment. Spurgeon says this, They had almost consumed me upon earth. His foes had almost destroyed him so as to make him altogether fail. If they could, they would have eaten him or burned him alive. Anything so that they could have made him, made a full end of the good man. Evidently, he had fallen under their power to a large extent and they had so used that power that he was well nigh consumed. But he was almost gone from off the earth. But almost is not altogether And so he escaped by the skin of his teeth. And you know, God will sometimes allow us to be tempted, but he will never allow us to be tempted beyond that which we are able. And will, with every temptation, make a way of escape. Whatever the circumstance, whether it's temptation, whether it's affliction, God will sustain us and see us through. Next week we'll pick up, and the whole tone and tenor changes as we start to move from this valley and start to move to a much higher ground. Let's bow our hearts. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the reminder this morning. Firstly, that you have called us to be ambassadors for you. Lord, to be salt and light in this world. Lord, to minister to others. Lord, to be an encouragement. And Lord, particularly to those who are of the household of faith. And Lord, may we be just that. May they be glad when they see us, Lord, those that fear you, because we have hoped in thy word. But Father, help us also to be aware that there are valleys yet ahead of us. And that when we experience those things, Lord, we are not to lose heart, not to give up. Because Lord, you are always faithful. And Lord, you will restore us. So Lord, help us to trust you whatever the circumstances, Lord, whether we have much or whether we have little. Lord, help us to trust you. And Father, help us to keep growing in knowledge and grace. Lord, and help us, as we're, we're seeking and desiring to learn here, to learn how to walk in the way, to walk by faith and not by sight. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.